The Incomparable, number 177, January 2014. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and tonight we're going to do another one of our ridiculous drafts. In this case, we're going to talk about video games, and um, upon reflection, we decided to break up the video game drafts in two, so we will, at a later date, do a computer-based video game draft. This is a console-based video game draft, so we're going to be drafting not consoles, but the games on the consoles, and uh, for me, that's going to mean I've got a list really heavy in Atari 2600, but... Uh, that's, but I, I imagine that some of our other uh, competitors are going to have a much broader selection of games to talk about. So basically, this is an excuse for us to talk about some of the great video games on consoles in history. And joining me to talk about it, I'm going to start with the guy who will be vying with me for Atari 2600 games. It's Greg Noss. Hi, Greg. Hello, very old person. Yes, welcome. And oh, in my day, there were paddles and joysticks and you could choose. Good to have you here, Greg. Thank you. Uh, Tony Sindelar, also here. He's much more well-versed and plays games that were made post-1978. Hi, Tony. Hi, Jason. I, I myself was made post-1978. <laughs> Probably not by people who were playing video games. Not at the time. Breakout, I'm telling you. Breakout was much... It was a mood setter, Steve. A mood setter. Steve Lutz is here. You heard him. Hi, Steve. You, uh, you've got a long, tawdry <laughs> video game past. I don't know what I'm talking about. Hi, Steve. The fun is back. Oh, yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari. Very nice. I could go on, but you, I won't. But not not yet. Um, I'll, I'll have you know, if I'm sounding a bit phlegmy tonight, it's because I am actually sick. But that's actually perfect because, as a kid, I used to love being sick because it meant I got to sit home all day and play video games and do nothing else. It's perfect. So I'm totally in the right frame of mind. Now you podcast about video games. And, and shirking my duties in the real world. Yeah. Bravo. Perfect. Moises Chuyan joins us. He heard we were doing a video game draft and he couldn't stay away. Hi, Moises. Welcome back. Battery backup failure. <laughs> Just blow on the cartridge. No! <laughs> My Zelda save! <laughs> and John Syracuse, of course. We couldn't keep him away. We wouldn't do it without him. Hi, John. I think that Lutz kid has a bright future in the world of televised commercial entertainment. I think so. <laughs> that, that jingle he sang just really brought it back to me. Great right. rendition. Thank you. Appreciate that. Web store is his enemy. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Something like that. All right. So we have our participants and uh, I have a draft order that I've randomly selected. Here it comes. Because um, we've got Steve, Tony, John, Greg, me, and Moises. And Steve Lutz, you get to have the first selection. Oh, yeah. In the draft. So Kool-Aid. Go. Oh, yeah. I, I pick Kool-Aid Man as my first. <laughs> that no. was never a game. That was a game, wasn't it? There was a 2600 Kool-Aid game. Oh, heck yeah, there was. Yeah, of course. There was a 2600 game for everything. Go ahead, Steve. You could pick that if you want, then. I, I will not be picking, however. Make him pick Kool -Aid it. Make him pick it. No, no. I, I won't like a chess move. You can't take it back. Uh, instead, and thank goodness I have first draft pick, because I have a feeling with two of you old guys on here, this might have gone first for either of you. Uh, so I'm going to pick it now and get it off the board right away. Oh, and you that is, make of fun course, of us for being old, and now you're going to pick an old <laughs> game. 
because I'm old too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm going to go with Atari 2600 Adventure. Damn it. Which is, of course, the timeless tale of a square who must return the letter Y to the yellow castle so that it may once again color cycle. The square Uh, is really blown away by the giant keys, though, that are like larger (laughs) than its body that it has to carry around like an ant carrying a leaf. The enormous bat that's like the size of six squares. It's, <laughs> it's a crazy world that he lives in. And he, he slays dragons with his trusty arrow, sometimes with a tip, sometimes with a shaft, depending on which way he's facing. Uh, the reason Adventure is great is because it was one of the first, I would say, two console games that wasn't either a half-baked arcade port. I mean, it, it basically, it, it, just, it was the first one or the second one that wasn't a half-baked arcade port. Um, pretty much everything up until that point had been... And then in 77, I think it was, or maybe 78. Yeah, maybe it was 79. It was 79. In 1979, Superman came out. Uh, and then in 1980, it came Adventure. Both of them excellent games. This was uh, one of the first console games that you could actually win. And um, for somebody who'd been playing Surround and Air Sea Battle for a couple of years, um, it really kind of opened my eyes as to, hey, console games could be actually something much more interesting than what I've seen up until now. Um, and perhaps most importantly, I think it was probably one of the first console games that was actually fun to play by yourself. Uh, most of those early Atari games, they were pretty useless unless you actually had somebody to play against, and the AI generally was non-existent or horrible. But Adventure you could actually enjoy, even if you just snuck out into the living room at 2 a.m. to get in a little extra Atari time. It was, I think, also kind of technically impressive, considering that it was uh, it was packed into four kilobytes a surprising number of different castles and mazes packed into that tiny little memory space. And uh, while the layout of the rooms never changed, the the fact that they would place the objects randomly every game uh, gave the game a replay value that I I don't think anything it had before. Um, I I haven't played the game in over 20 years, but I played it so much as a kid that I could still probably draw you a perfect map, (laughs) including the layout of all of the labyrinths and the secret maze room with the dot hidden in it. Uh, which brings me to the fact that Adventure actually also featured the first widely known Easter egg. Created by Warren Robinette. Created by Warren Robinette. Although apparently, and this made me sad when I heard about it, in 2004 they found that somebody had already stuck his name into a 1978 Channel F game. So Video Whizball actually holds the title. Yes, Video Whizball for <laughs> the first Easter egg. Uh, but Adventure, I think, probably has more lasting, uh, more lasting power than Video Whizball ever held. I don't think it's fair that somebody who doesn't make a noise when he stands up from a squat gets to choose Adventure. He's not old enough. He's what are pretty you talking old. about? You've got like one year on me. And it's, but it's a hard year. <laughs> That's true. Uh, every year for you is a hard year, right? It's not, not the years, it's the, the mileage. Oh, 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 oh. It's okay. the achievements you pick up along the way. Uh, what I loved about Adventure, which I would have chosen as my first pick, was the scope of it. Most of the games that you could get for the Atari 2600, they had like 700 game variations, but it was fire one shot or two shots, have two rows of enemies or three rows of enemies. It was all really tiny variations in really simple gameplay, but Adventure was huge, at least as huge as you can get in 4K. 
And you could wander. It, it, the difficulty level determined how many castles you had to go through and what you had to, what levels you had to go through. And like Steve said, the randomization. It was an amazing, terrific game for the time. And you know, the three dragons had different personalities, and so depending on which one was coming at you, you'd have to treat them differently. And the, the yellow dragon would actually run from the yellow key, which was yes, crazy. The, well, the, the yellow dragon was slow and stupid, and the red one was terrifying. That was the first time I ever screamed at something happening in a video game. I think the best thing about the dragons by far is the genius of having a player-shaped hole inside of their stomachs <laughs> so and that when you were eaten by make. them, you could see yourself struggling feebly in there while you waggled the joystick side to side. Oh, that's a great one. Oh, I, you sniped my first game. Man, that's a good one. That's a, that's a very good one. Sorry, that's <sighs> thank, just how it goes, Greg. It's thank goodness for early order. Woo! Yeah, lucky. I can go to bed now. Yeah, mission accomplished. I've done my part. So we will move on. Our second pick is going to be Tony. Oh, man. Um, oh, man. Surprise. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally ready. You need to pass? Uh, uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I will choose something not from this century, just because it seems like not a lot of competition for those. Um, I will draft uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, the third entry in the, uh, the Super Mario Brothers series for the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1990. Um, I had a Nintendo Entertainment System as a child that had all of the Super Mario Brothers games, but the uh, the third one was kind of a breakthrough in terms of, you know, it was your standard Mario game. You jump on Goombas, you, you pick up things, but it had all these complicated power-ups, and it had uh, a map with levels that could be experienced in kind of uh, non-linear fashion and weird power-ups. In fact, there was the, the ability, if you, got, if you kind of chained the right power-ups, it was possible to get to, like, the final level in, like, 30 minutes if you got all the right warp whistles. Um... I think it was also noteworthy in that I was introduced to Super Mario Brothers 3 uh, via uh, The Wizard, which is a advertisement <laughs> disguised as a feature-length movie starring Fred Savage. I um, love the Power Glove. It's so bad. That advertisement made $14 million. <laughs> and co-starred Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kiley. So, um, and ended Fred Savage's career. No, he went well, on to do the Wonder Years and- after that. He's a successful director now. Sure. Yeah, he's now one of the most successful TV directors in the business. All thanks to <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 3. Oh. Sorry, for a minute there I slipped into a parallel universe where there was justice. The the guy who the guy who played his little brother, Gimme 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 Jimmy Woods, uh he I think was in Jeepers Creepers 2 and a couple other things. Uh, I actually met. Did you say Jimmy Woods? Beloved character actor Jimmy Woods. Uh, was Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> no, no, no that, that was the character name. That was the character. I, I've seen the wizard way too many times. Um, I actually met Fred Savage, um, the guy who played his younger brother and the director of the movie at a screening that a guy who now works for Rooster Teeth here in Austin threw a few years ago. And they were baffled that there was a room full of 200 people that were rabid to see this movie. And I think Super Mario Brothers also, that's at the third one, that was when, in addition to The Wizard, they had all kinds of other ridiculous media tie-ins. Um, they had an animated TV show. Uh, it's also been remade several times, which leads to some very funny names. For example, um, Super Mario Advance 4, colon, Super Mario Brothers 3, which has... <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, you know, that's a great phenomenon, mainly unique to video games or really bad movies when you get to have two different integers in the in the title. So, Tony, right? what makes this Super Mario Brothers exceptional? Um, I would say the, the variety to it. Uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers 1 is, is is definitely a classic, and it's probably one of the, mo- the most successful games of all time. I think it's one of the top selling in part because it was packaged with the console. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 really kind of expanded on that with all these power-ups and kind of different ways you could explore the, the world, um, different um, 
different suits that you could wear, which are kind of weird, including um, a tanuki suit, which I was, as a small child, not familiar with tanukis, um, which are kind of a Japanese raccoon dog uh, that in the Super Mario Brothers world can turn to stone. Um, and it also had this interesting idea of there were uh, different bosses along the way. You had to fight each of King Koopa's weird, strange children, as opposed to just fighting King Koopa or Bowser. You know, every in Super Mario Brothers 1, you just fight him over and over again. He gets meaner each time, but he throws axes and stuff. Uh, but a lot more variety to this one. It is very different than um, Super Mario Brothers 2, which is, is noteworthy in terms of mentioning, because Super Mario Brothers 2 was not actually a Mario Brothers game. It's another game called Doki Doki Panic that they basically change the sprites to be Mario sprites so that they could crank out a Mario Brothers game really quickly. Because they were afraid that right. Mario 2 would be too hard for Americans. Yes, there's a secret hard Mario Brothers 2, which I think has been since released as like the Lost Levels, the which is very lost hard. Levels, that's right. And has like it has power ups that kill you, and and is is very, I think it has levels with wind, if I'm remembering. Yeah, it's it's um, it was too hard for us. But awesome. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm going with. That's also chronologically one of the earlier games in my list. All right. Sorry. So, Sorry. so Steve and Greg and I are safe then. Yes. Safe from you. That's good. Now, judges, with Super Mario Brothers 3 off the table, does that also remove Super Mario Brothers 1 and 2? I, I think... What are you talking about? Of course it doesn't. No, it, do, it doesn't. No? So this is, this is what I'm going to say. Sanity. You might... You need to... You, you know, you need to speak about why, although that game, a version of this game has already been picked, you are going to pick a different version. I think you're going to call it a version. It's not a, it, it's not a version well, of the same game. When it spans like two decades, these are not yes. the same game. They have the same name somewhere in the title. I would like to draft all Zeldas, all of them. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not no. talking about you know taking Super Mario World or or Super Mario 64 off the table. I'm just talking sure. about the ones that are in the Super Mario Brothers series. I think, which I really think they're is, fair game. I think you just I think want, I'd, yeah. I'd want you to differentiate them. Is all I would say. Yes, I will tell okay. you that I had on my list backup in case Super Mario Brothers three was already taken. Super Mario World would be my next favorite Super Mario game. For the SNES. Spoilers. Yeah, really. Well, now I'm not going to draft that. I'm good. I got I got a Mario on my list. I'm good. You got, you got some Mario. Okay, we're moving on to Moises. What do you have for us? So I, 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 I'm going to go with the theme, and I don't think you guys are going to be able to pick up on it uh, very quickly. Uh, huh. Because I think we'll the, be the judge of that. I, I think the first one will throw you all the way off unless you happen to be a bad enough dude to save the president. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the full title of this game was originally Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja, which is actually even better than the great title that is Bad Dudes, <laughs> where these guys wearing tank tops and jeans have to go beat up a bunch of gang characters and save the president from a bunch of gangs. Uh, it started out as an arcade game, but I came to know it on the NES, where it was the most violent video game I had seen in my life. Um it does it's, say they're bad dudes. They're bad dudes. I mean, if you got to be a bad dude to do something heroic. It was honestly, I, I think, I think we can all agree, speaking for the entire panel, that this was the birth of the antihero. Okay, maybe I can't speak for the whole panel. Uh, it, it's it's difficult to go further into depth about this uh, beat 'em up game, which is your generic kind of side scrolling. I'm gonna punch things until it falls down and blinks out no of existence. Well, <laughs> um, what of Dragon Ninja? I say, what of Dragon Ninja? Yeah, I well, in Japan, it was at the according to Wikipedia, and who knows how accurate Wikipedia is. When I looked it up earlier in Japan, it's known just as Dragon Ninja, they don't know it as bad dudes, they just know it as Dragon what? Ninja. 
I think bad dudes is really an American yeah. concept. Yeah. Bad Are you dragon enough to us. ninja? I don't doesn't make sense to me. You can't have bad dudes without sleeveless t-shirts. I've never even heard of this game. You've Fantastic. never even Oh my god. <laughs> I, I missed I missed the NES. I totally missed the NES. Completely. Utterly missed it. But so. if you went into a movie theater that had three video games in the front of the, you know, in the lobby, one of them was bad dudes in Look, he, look, he wasn't a bad enough dude to say No, I was not a he bad just, dude. He wasn't. And I wanted the president to die, I guess. Did they have a milk toast dudes version? Uh no, but there there was a spiritual sequel uh called Two Crude Dudes in Japan. It was called Crude Buster. Because they like throwing the word buster that onto things. Filthy. Yeah, I know. I know. It sounds like a leisure suit Larry sequel. Um but uh, but th- this this was one of the many Data East side-scrolling beat-em-up games that were effectively the exact same game engine with different sprites over things. I'm pretty well convinced they they did most of the code once and just substituted in different character graphics for what you beat up until it blinked off into uh, you know where dead bodies go that isn't you know actually being a dead body on the ground. They fade away. They fade away. They fade away. Wow. There was a whole nother generation of games like that where they seem to just swap out the sprites like the Simpsons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yep. and they all seem to be exactly the same, the same yeah. hardware, exactly the same. And they're all great. <laughs> well, they're the same game. Bad dude. Versus Dragon Ninja. Versus Dragon Ninja. Oh, possibly versus Dragon Ninja. Well, we need to be mentioning the Japanese titles of all our picks. Uh, if you want, it's it's optional. I only mentioned that because it was the, the most bizarre alternate full <laughs> title I'd ever seen. All right, Greg Noss, you get to go next. I choose Adventure for the Atari 2600. No. Which in board. Japan was known as Crazy Square Hate Bat. Strangely <laughs> enough. Are you sure that it wasn't known as It Hip to Be Square? Bad Square. <laughs> oh, wow. I want to stab you with the haft of my sword. Bad dude. Square versus Dragon. My six pixel sword. <laughs> I've heard that about you. Go, <laughs> go ahead, Greg. Okay, well, I'm going to pick an obscure title. Um, that's old. Uh, Utopia for the Intellivision. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it, much less played it, but it was a terrific, um, and one of the two player game, one of the first sim games, the game starts out. There are two islands that represent the world. There are two continents, I guess. And then each player takes a turn building industry or farmland or fishing, surviving weather disasters, eventually building the military to be able to attack your opponent. And, um, once you've conquered your opponent's island, you win, and it's the end of the game. Wow. Nice. It was terrific. What kind of utopia could possibly exist on a television? Seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy the premise. And a, a utopia where everybody has flat thumbs. The Intellivision controller just makes me feel uncomfortable looking at it. <laughs> there's really, there's nothing, I think, that captures the 70s more than the television <laughs> hardware. Uh, the 2600 was pretty good with the wood paneling. The Intellivision had... I think didn't the Intellivision also have but the big Intellivision handling? controller looks like a like a phone. <laughs> yeah, it has that stretchy phone cable <laughs> and the weird it's circle. Weird. It had the yeah. little stretchy it, cable that that went about two feet, so you both had to huddle right. around the, the <laughs> unit on the floor, and then you would be pushing the direction disc so hard that you would pull your thumb off of it, and you would have a the tip would be flat. And after a couple of years of really abusing it, the the little buttons on the keypad wouldn't work anymore because yeah, they yeah. were just bubble contacts. Yeah. 
it is impressive that it took almost like 15 years of console hardware before they're like, hey, let's make controllers that aren't rectangles, <laughs> you know, that won't like carve little pivot points into people's I would hands. have paid good money to see a video of George Plimpton actually trying to use the Intellivision controllers. <laughs> I think it would have ended in swears at the very least. Erudite swears. And that's all most people remember about the Intellivision platform is George Plimpton's ads. That's all, certainly all I remember about it. They were the sports games. The sports games were all terrific, compared, oh, yeah. especially compared to the 2600. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the first version of 2600 baseball, and I don't know if it got released or it was just caught in testing, but um, three strikes and you'd walk because apparently the implementer didn't <laughs> understand how <laughs> baseball worked. Wow. That's a heck of a game. Yeah. Um, but the in television, both baseball and football and soccer, which I was less interested in, hockey. Oh my God, the hockey was great. You could um, stick people, and so they would flip over and slide across the ice on their butts. And once out of three times, you'd get called for a penalty. But Utopia um, really kind of set the stage for all the sim games and a lot of the god games. And it was something that was slower paced and turn based, but it wasn't just another, like Steve said, arcade clone or something where you would play for a couple of minutes, die, and have it be over. There was actual strategy involved. I did try to avoid putting arcade clones or games that were available for the PC on my list, but some snuck in. Yeah, it has to, it's inevitable. I, mean, I, I, th- I think it's also where yeah. you, where you uh, played it, and I, I've got, a, I've got a, a, yeah. a very popular arcade game on my list that's, that I just I played it on the 2600 so much that it's on my list for that. All right, time to stop things for just a moment and talk about our sponsor, MailRoute, a new sponsor to The Incomparable. MailRoute is a great service that makes sure that you don't get spam and viruses in your inbox. MailRoute is the leading hosted service to clean your email and protect your servers. You don't have to install any hardware or any software. I just set this up for my domain. It's super easy, reliable, and trustworthy. Universities, governments, corporations use it, as well as regular people like me who've got a domain, and maybe it's just me or just a few people. There are no user minimums, so even if you're just a single person with a domain, or you've got two or three people in your family, you can get the spam and viruses filtered out by using MailRoute. MailRoute's focus is delivering only the clean email that you want, nothing you don't. The interfaces are built with that in mind. They're simple, There's an API, so if you've got a lot of users, there's easy account management. They support LDAP and Active Directory, TLS, mail bagging, outbound relay, you anything you can think of um, that you would want from the people handling your mail, mail routes, got it. And lots of clever other stuff too. Um, you can configure with very simple tools what, uh, how often you want to get reminded about messages that they have filtered. And then it's one click from an email they send you to retrieve any message that they might have filtered accidentally. You can whitelist with one click. So retrieving spam, non-spam is really easy. And in my time using it, I've been very impressed at what a good job it does pulling out the spam and letting all of the good mail through. And I just don't see spam from my personal email account anymore. It's really great. So here's what you do if you want to try out MailRoute. You can get a free trial with one-step sign-up, no credit card necessary. You go to MailRoute.net slash incomparable, and you'll get 10% off the lifetime of your account when you sign up. MailRoute.net, M-A-I-L-R-O-U-T-E net slash incomparable for 10% off. And thanks to MailRoute for filtering out the spam from my email and for sponsoring the incomparable. Um, John Syracusa, it's your turn. 
I feel like this is a little bit unfair because I talked about all my favorite video games on the show. I choose Journey. In, in, incessantly, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's also kind of unfair because I, as I think I mentioned the show before, I wasn't allowed to have a game console when I was a kid. So the only place I had access to any game consoles, like the ones that the old people are talking about, was at my friends' houses. So <laughs> The old uh, people. The old yeah. people, thank you very much. I, yeah, so, so my list actually <laughs> skews... <laughs> Skews a bit young here because my my first real console was like by the time I was in college. You know, I couldn't have one in the house. Uh, but thankfully, I'm on a show with a bunch of you old fogies and people who had consoles before me. And so even though I'm late in the order, I get to pick what is quite possibly the best video game of all time. Everybody who is a right-thinking gamer, please say it with me. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh! Well, yeah. Well, that, tell me more about your square. Um, is is this is this the is, most is the elder abuse portion of the show almost over? Because no, I, I'm yeah. just aghast that he didn't pick the wand of Gamelon. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, a tough call. You guys are just making up words now. No, no, it's is a real thing. Time the the uh, the most important video game in history. No, not really. Uh, but it's definitely the most important game in the Zelda series, at least the modern Zelda series, because it <laughs> put down the blueprint for all the Zelda games that would follow it and start snarky comment here now. Um, and I, I think it was a strong blueprint. People say, oh, they just repeated Ocarina of Time over and over again. But uh, it was a strong enough blueprint for the game that it held up for 10 subsequent years of basically remaking the same game with the details changed. Uh without it feeling old now some people did get tired of it but i definitely didn't but this was the first one it's kind of like blade runner in that respect where uh you look back on it, you're like oh what's the big deal every game is like that now but every game wasn't like that when this game came out uh so what made it so good well it was the first 3d zelda but it was not the first big 3d game and i think that really helped because if it would have been too much to bite off at once if you said okay we're going to make the first great 3d game and we're going to make that zelda there's just too much stuff there so this came years after the, the 3d revolution so we had time to sort out how 3d works leaving you time to figure out okay we've got the 3d stuff handled how do we do all this stuff that you need in a zelda game this is a big degree of difficulty you've got this big world you got relatively complex controls you have inventory you have npcs you have the music puzzles combat and all the atmosphere and all that other stuff like it's a lot to uh, take in all at once. So this game had to come years after the switch from 2D to 3D, not right uh, when it started. And it did all those things amazingly well. Uh, and one of the things I highlight in particular is the soundtrack, which we were still stuck in the MIDI era back on the uh, the world of Nintendo because they hadn't gone to optical media, so you couldn't just stream an orchestral score off the disc, so it had to be MIDI. And it's kind of like a transition between the chiptunes of the 8-bit NES and our, you know, our modern music that sounds like music. But I think the soundtrack holds up amazingly well, especially if you consider that they had music almost during the entire movie. Like you'd be running around these levels and every level had sort of an ambient background music. And that can go so, so wrong when there's a game with background music and you're and you're running around this level for like three hours and it starts to grate on you and drive you nuts. And the opposite happened for me. And I think for most people in Ocarina of Time, you became you sort of got attached to that background music and it gave you sort of a sense of place. And now when you hear that music, you picture yourself back in that place. You don't picture, oh my God, that incessant music, it needs to stop. Uh, which I think is quite an achievement, again, especially considering that it was MIDI. Um, in retrospect, I think the technical limits are a little bit uh, tough to swallow these days, especially the 2D towns where they, they didn't have enough memory on the cartridge to do fully 3D rendered towns, so they just did like a 2D backdrop that you ran around in. Uh, but I'm willing to forgive that because, you know, cartridges for cartridges and what could you do? Uh, so, yeah, so I, I think despite the fact that anyone who goes back and plays this now will probably find it sort of tiresome and uh, 
it'll seem like it's all been done before. This was the first one, and it did so many things so well that it really just trounced all games that came before it, including all the original Zeldas, I think. Wow. Steve, do you want to go meh again now and explain why you debate this? Uh, you know, I'm not sure this draft is really about bashing others' picks. Ah, but... isn't, it? <clears throat> isn't it? Okay. No, no, I... I personally have never finished a 3d zelda game and that might invalidate my opinion here but i would say well did you did you play this when it came out i did yeah i, I still have the cartridge upstairs in fact i was going to bust it out and finally finish it uh over the next month or so just to say that i have but for me the gameplay just got so repetitive after maybe i don't know i got through the water temple and didn't wasn't too horrified by the difficulty of that but by the time i was through with it i was basically yeah i think i've kind of seen what this game has to offer at this point the story isn't enough to really drive me forward and uh and i i just decided i was going to move on to something else and every time i've picked up a zelda game since at least a 3d one i've had the same experience i get maybe i don't know 15 hours into it and i go um well i think there are things i'd rather be doing and then i move on not saying it makes it a bad game, but it's it doesn't uh, it doesn't appeal to me in the same way that it does to apparently every single other person in the world. Well, the people who haven't lost their childlike sense of wonder, <laughs> <laughs> those who still have souls. Yeah, fair enough. Um, John, I, I really appreciate what you said about uh, about the music thing. I, I, although I have to say, I believe I can still um, re- recall the entire soundtrack of maybe even be super Mario brothers three that my, uh, that my brother-in-law who is about 14 years younger than me was playing when he was a kid on the NES. <laughs> um, I, I can hear those. I will hear, hear those songs on my deathbed <laughs> and not in a happy way. <laughs> That's my 12 year old son is in the school orchestra and they play the Mario theme as part of their repertoire and so he wanders around the house humming it without having any idea where it comes from. Yeah, but you had to jump at that point, right? Yes. Everybody, you always had to jump when it went do 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 boing. boing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. That's a shared experience. It's super catchy. It is. All right, I'm gonna make my pick. I'm gonna surprise people by taking a uh, taking a game from the year. I think it was from the year 2000. Certainly, it's got 2000 in the name. And uh, what is what is a discussion of video games without talking about sports games? And so I'm going to pick my absolute favorite console sports game of all time. It's NFL Blitz 2000, wow. which is the hmm. see what happened. That's is, a solid pick with sports I, I can't games. Bash you for that. With sports games, what happened is they started being much more about, we are going to get into the realism. It's going to be like you're watching on TV, and you're going to be able to choose complicated plays. And, you know, with Madden NFL, I could just watch TV at that point. Why don't I just watch TV of a real game instead of a made-up game? They have drafts. You go through a draft. You play in the minors. You go through a draft. You do team interviews. My my elder son plays that stuff downstairs, and he tells me stories about what's (laughs) happening in his video game. Yeah. I, I think they can medicate that. Medicate it with a two by four. So, 
let me explain NFL Blitz. So NFL Blitz is a reaction to that. And it was based on, I, I, I believe it was first in arcades. I'm not sure. But um, I discovered it on PlayStation, the original PlayStation. And I love this game. And the, the reason I love this game is that it is a simplified football game. I played Atari football on the 2600 and I loved it. And that was a <laughs> terrible game. But I could score like 80,000 touchdowns and never give up a point. NFL Blitz... So it's, because there were three defenders. Yeah, there man. were three three guys. So um, it, it, NFL Blitz 2000 and all the other NFL Blitzes, very simple. Um, you know, the all the fun of playing arcade football without this ridiculous super simulation. It's going to be exactly like the, uh, the the actual game that you see on TV. And yes, you could also do things like hit guys really hard after the play was over and knock them unconscious. And that's actually how they lost their license from the NFL after a while. <laughs> and I believe they've now gotten it, gotten it back. And there's a new version that's a little more sanitized, but the fun of it was that it had a limited play grid. You could pick your plays. You could flip uh, mirror flip left or right of the plays that you wanted. It was fast paced. The scores would be ridiculous. They'd be, you know, 85 to 80, uh, you or, or you could set it like it's a two minute quarter. I mean, it was arcade football, huge fun. Did not rep, did not resemble a, a wonderful, perfect simulation of football in any way. It didn't matter. It was huge amounts of fun. And then when they had the license, they used the real NFL players, and they had an obnoxious announcer, and also some really nice things like uh, when you got a touchdown, you could just take the extra point, and you didn't have to actually kick it. Uh, there was like, look, you can take the extra point or you, if you want to go for two, then you can run another play anyway. So it is my favorite game because it goes against convention. It was huge fun to play. And, and, and you know what I don't find, I bought, I don't know, eight different Maddens over the years and, you know, and and other sports games and they're kind of boring. Uh, I, I get excited about them briefly, and then in the end, I'm just like, yeah, it's really complicated. And for me to get super into it is going to take, you know, it just it doesn't appeal to me in the same way that a game like this that's simple and fun and you can just dive in and play it really fast. And I don't care that it doesn't reflect reality because who 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 needs that? It's better. Yeah, the than problem reality. with the Madden games is there's so much reality and so much play calling and so much of it is based just on the stats of the various players that you barely feel like you're playing the damn game. Yeah, yeah. Especially when your kid kicks your ass. <laughs> <laughs> At least they don't have you like injecting the steroids into your players between the games. If NFL Blitz had continued with the NFL license, they would have probably had the steroid bonus, which is, I believe, why <laughs> they lost their license. And then they actually did a couple unlicensed versions that that went extreme in that direction. And, you know, the appeal of knocking a guy over after the play was over was never the real reason you, you know, I liked that game. I liked it because of the simplification of it. So when you say arcade football, you mean uh, playing arcade football, you mean slapping at a trackball as little X's and O's? <laughs> yes, black and white X's and O's. Bringing in the youngsters to the That's yard. That's one thing that I meant, sure. Sure, absolutely. Uh, okay, that's that's uh, that's round one in the books. That's a solid pick, Jason. Good job. Excellent thank, work. Thank you. It was I, a- I quite like uh, NFL Blitz and also NHL Hits, if you haven't had a chance to play oh. that. is fairly magnificent. Three-on-three hockey plus a goalie. Uh, and I think probably the, the best thing for me about those games is the codes that you can enter. 
uh, as you're starting up oh, the yeah, game, yeah, yeah. you can pick amongst the three different symbols, and depending on what you've gathered as, as you've been playing the game, you can unlock like big head mode, where guys are skating around with these enormous heads, yes. or you can, uh, you can have uh, mascots playing the games instead of players, which yep. is also hilarious. Yep. Great fun. It's just it's the, the, the sport distilled down to what's actually fun about the sport. Well, that's, what's the point of that? It's the it's the reason that I am I'm sad that I sold my PlayStation One back in the day because that that was that would be worth keeping it just for that because that is a great that is a great game. But like I said, I think in doing the research for this, I think it's actually back and available as a download on Xbox and PlayStation. So I may go get it. In fact, it. I think there's a recent uh, release of NFL. Blitz yeah, yeah, they uh, they got the license back yeah. uh, after taking out the post play uh hits that never happened <laughs> after sanitizing it to reflect reality yeah, more exactly. accurately i in yeah. in in its heyday on the playstation i was working in a, a funko land which uh is one of the various stores that used to exist before gamestop swallowed them all and i remember at a certain point everybody had moved on from the original nfl blitz to 2000 to the extent that we were selling used copies of the original nfl blitz for the playstation for like 15 cents all right, I want to pause a moment to get down to business. And uh, by that, I mean, yes, we have a sponsor I would like to tell you about, but that sponsor is also about business. It's FreshBooks, new sponsor to The Incomparable. And FreshBooks is the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. If you're somebody who is using Word or Excel to create invoices, and let me tell you, The Incomparable, now that we do sponsors, has grappled with this very issue, using Word or Pages to generate invoices and Excel or Google Docs to track where the money is going. We don't use the shoebox of receipts, but we have a manila folder. So here's the answer to all of these problems that you're grappling with with your small business and that I'm grappling with with The Incomparable, too. It's FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business people just like you save time with their billing and they'll get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can easily go online and create invoices. You can capture and track expenses on the go and get real-time reports with a few clicks. And the best part is you can try FreshBooks out for free. You don't have to get the software and download it. It's all in the cloud. You go to getfreshbooks.com and you can sign up and try it out for free today. Now to the delightfully tasty part of this commercial. FreshBooks is giving away a birthday cake to someone who signs up for a new account from The Incomparable. An incomparable listener a day will get a birthday cake. So for your chance to win, enter The Incomparable in the How Did You Hear About Us section when you go to getfreshbooks.com and sign up for a new account. With FreshBooks, every day could be your birthday, so go sign up at getfreshbooks.com. And thank you so much to FreshBooks for helping people out with accounting stuff that can drive you crazy and for sponsoring The Incomparable. Oh, good. Okay, let's go back to the top. Steve Lutz, you can hey. pick another Atari 2600 game if you like. Greg may, Greg may kill you. That was it for my Atari 2600. Right, okay. uh, well, I do have more on my list if we end up doing a lot of games, which right now it looks like we probably won't. You have any idea how long we're going to go? How many rounds? I, I'm still thinking three rounds. Three rounds. Okay. Well, I better distill this thing down just a hair then. Uh, okay. In that case, I'm going to skip what was my number two pick and uh, jump right to uh, the game that I've probably put more time into than any other game. And that is uh, Rock Band. 
I've nice. always been a huge fan of music, both listening to and making. So uh, when Karaoke Revolution and later Guitar Hero came out, they both hit my sweet spot, and I just I played them to death. Then when Rock Band came out and it had both of those elements and drums, the uh, massive purchase price was just a no-brainer, and I went out and got it. Guitar Hero was what got me to buy a PlayStation Two. Same for that me. Was way very late in the place, very late in the PlayStation Two. Yeah, cycle. same for me. I picked up a PS Two Slim specifically so I could get Guitar Hero. And uh, well, I think what makes the game so special for me, and, and this goes back to Guitar Hero as well, uh, is I think the learning curve, at least for, for one-person play. I mean, you start out, even if you've played guitar for, uh, for 20 years, you start out with a little plastic thing feeling just unbelievably awkward and barely able to get through the easiest songs on easy mode. And then as you play, you become more and more comfortable and you find yourself graduating to the harder modes and songs sort of, sort of naturally. And that's, that's a great feeling. I, just, I love that as I play, I'm getting better at something tangible other than twiddling my thumbs. So it's, it's really fun as a solo game, and it, it feels like you're sort of achieving something. And, and uh, not so much with the guitar, but with the drums, you could actually learn how to play the drums playing yeah. this thing. So it's, uh, it's really fun as a solo game, but then it's just downright incredible when you put together a band. And uh, it, it's... I think it's it's the thing that's amazing about it is it's an accessible enough thing playing in a rock band that all sorts of normally introverted people are are sort of drawn to mm. it, and the varying difficulty modes actually make it possible for anybody to get in on the action. So I can play with my kids, or I can play with my my drunken friends at family events. I can play with my <laughs> drunken family. Uh, there's just uh, there's just something transcendent about the experience of four people voluntarily looking like idiots while they flail away on on plastic toy instruments together. If you had told me that one day I would be singing loudly pop songs in my living room while John Syracuse watched me, I would say, <laughs> never, never, ever, 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 ever. And yet... How, what could I pay to avoid this situation? <laughs> that uh, that yeah. totally happened. I won't be able to unsee that one. And full credit to John for recusing himself from being involved in most of the rock band <laughs> shenanigans. But huge fun. Huge fun. We have We have the... We have drums and guitars and uh, rock band and the Beatles rock band and uh, my kids love it and yeah we 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 play that still every you know every month or two it, it it'll come out and um, my daughter loves playing the drums and I'm I prefer the bass I think but just it's great what it, it doesn't it, it's about experiencing music I think that's actually the best way to put it is that it's not you're not actually playing guitar but you are kind of like enjoying uh the music and kind of you're uh, clapping along yeah in a way and also there's songs that i've heard that i played on on rock band that now when i listen to them i am i am far more aware of what the other musicians right. in the track are doing than i ever was before which is kind of cool well one of the great things about it is if you're playing just a single instrument that actually comes up in the mix so you can yeah, yeah. really hear that that's that isolated track and you can get an appreciation I mean, not just with, you know, you're actually being forced to follow along, but you can actually hear uh, how intricate the individual parts are. It's, it's pretty great. And I'd like to thank John Syracuse for not uh, making some remarks here about the quality of my rock band performance. Oh, the only comment I've made is the comment I made every time I've discussed this with anybody is that we were in, it was a whole bunch of people over there, and every single one of you could sing. Like, that's the thing about this. You're, you're not really playing guitar and even drums, like you're kind of playing drums, but not really. But you're really singing. Like there's yeah. no there's no getting around that. No. It's a microphone and it's your voice. <laughs> and you guys could all carry a tune. So that's it's 
phenomenal from the experience in my family where the ratio is like 1%. <laughs> well, Jason, if we want to hear you sing, we can search, seek out a specific podcast, right? Yeah, if you want to uh, hear me sing in public, I, I'm actually on a podcast <laughs> singing in public. Search for It Might Get Personal on Mule Radio and you will hear me sing. Yeah, and plus you get to pick you know the hits of the 80s plus Beatles songs, so sure, right in your wheelhouse. Right in my wheelhouse. As an old, again, we're back to being an old old person, being an elderly now, person. I, I know yeah. the 80s songs, too, because my parents yeah. didn't prevent me from listening to music. They just wouldn't give me a game console. <laughs> well, you know. They wouldn't allow you to dance, though. It was sort You of were amazing. raised in the movie Footloose, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah the, the cassette tape under the chin. Brutal. Yeah, but John, I was right there with you because my dad didn't want us to get an Atari 2600 because he said, and and this is, I he wasn't, this wasn't a ploy. He said, I am afraid it will break the TV. It's <laughs> like, these video games, it's going to put weird things on the TV and it's going to break the TV set. Well, I can't tell you how many times my TV was almost broken by me chucking one of those joysticks at it. So yeah. it's it's a possibility. They made TVs tough in those days, though. Oh, yeah. It, it was a tank. There was no way it was getting it broken. It was a piece of furniture. It, it weighed like 300 pounds. Yeah. My parents, they have their flat screen TV sitting on top of their old tube TV. Because <laughs> if they remove the old tube TV, there's a giant hole on that side of the room. So one more thing I wanted to mention about Rock Band, because yes, I don't Rock think it gets, it gets pointed out nearly often enough, is how technically impressive the graphics engine is. I mean, the fact that they had to take basically an infinite number of possible songs and then translate it into what looks like a real rock performance is, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a tough task. And I think they pulled it off pretty amazingly. I mean, the, the guitarists are even, at least as far as appearances go, they look like they're playing the right notes. When they zoom in on the hands on the fretboard, you can actually see them moving in what looks like the right sequence. So it's a pretty great technical achievement. I mean, just beyond all of the, the difficulty of you know having the multiple tracks going. and That kind of disappeared, right? I mean, there were many iterations of it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, Activision then, came like, up with... The market collapsed on fake I plastic think instruments, the problem basically. is that Activision oversaturated the market with blank hero games and, mm-hmm. and basically killed the yeah. genre. Which, which ticks me off because when these instruments deteriorate, I basically won't be able to get replacements without going on eBay and spending $300 for I a know. plastic guitar. I've, I've got a box of plastic instruments that I don't, I don't have room for in my small living oh, room. Oh, God, I wish I, had, and, I wish I had hoarded you, some you get first at the time. I will be sad because six years after the game came out, just like Jason, rarely a month goes by when somebody in the family doesn't I know. start the thing up. There was also there was a whole aftermarket economy for that um, with people who would buy like off-brand better versions of it. I had a friend who was really into actually playing the drums and he would play the drums on rock band and he would smash his pedal over and over again. And then he bought like somebody made an actual like metal drum pedal compatible with the rock band drums so that he wouldn't break it. That's like those flight simulator people who build an actual cockpit. Yes. Or the racing game freaks who, who build, you know, an actual race car wasn't it's there all, like a, a, a ps2 like, game that had like a, it was 300 dollars and had this enormous tank rig that came with it i had that game steel battalion it was for the original xbox i still have it in a box in my basement because i don't know what to do with it it's really yeah. big that's the for the people who are into uh rock band i would have bought steel battalion i would not spend all that money on rock band but if you give me some sort of inside of a mech cockpit for 200 bucks there you go this was a this was a ridiculous like multi parts that clicked together. It had pedals. It had multiple did, joysticks. Did you play it? Uh, yes, I have it. Um, and it had it. The best part, it had an eject button. If you yeah, didn't eject ra- before dying, like the campaign was over, and the eject button was under a little plastic thing that you had to flip up first, and then <laughs> hit the glowing red eject button. It was it was ridiculous in terms of how much space it took up for a single game. Um, I should also give yeah. uh, Dan Moore in full credit, even though he's not here. I've never seen somebody play fake drums like dan warren he is a 
There are several, having played a lot of Rock Band with Dan Morton, there are many songs I can't hear without I, hearing Dan Morton. Oh, wow. Them now. He's part animal. Yeah. That's horrible. Is, I'm so sorry, Tony. Yeah. It, you know, it's not all that bad, but it's not all that great. <laughs> and my kids my kids know the songs of the Beatles because of rock, Beatles Rock Band. Oh, so, same here. Yeah. That's I love that it's fact. Awesome. I love yeah. the fact that my kids got introduced to a lot of interesting songs just by virtue of the fact that they were easy to play on Rock Band. Yep. Absolutely. My daughter's into R.E.M. right now, as a matter of fact, for that very reason. When your kids see a video of the Beatles, they go, look, those guys are singing the song from the video game. Yep. <laughs> those are the guys from the video game. <laughs> What's left of them. Uh, yep. All right, it's time for our sponsor, Audible. I want to thank Audible for its support of The Incomparable. Audible, as you probably know already, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks. And we have a very special offer just for Incomparable listeners coming up. Here's the deal. Audible has over 150,000 books in its library, every genre out there, including the ones that are near and dear to our hearts, fantasy, sci-fi, and things like that. Here's how it works. You want to listen to a book? You can find it on Audible. You can listen to them anytime, anywhere. You can listen on your iPhone, iPad. They have apps for that. You can listen on your Mac or PC. You can listen on Kindles and on and on. Audible is everywhere. And here's the best part. Audible is offering incomparable listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Here's what you do. You go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable to take advantage of the special offer. And by doing that, not only do you get a chance to check out this great service, but you support us as well. So go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable. Now, you may be asking yourself, I don't know what I would actually download with my free trial of Audible. I have some suggestions. These are actually two books that we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks in our book club, but I'm going to recommend them to you now. One of them is Scott Lynch's book, The Lies of Locke Lamora. It's available on Audible, narrated by Michael Page. It is a really fun book set in this strange fantasy world there, it's a city that's ruled mostly by thieves of various levels, and in this magical fantasy setting, basically there's a heist that happens, a detailed heist. So it's almost like an Ocean's Eleven-y kind of thing, except in a fantasy setting. If you don't like fantasy, let's go to the sci-fi, broad, widescreen space opera of the style of Ian Banks. It's Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie, narrated by Celeste Chula, I'm going to say, and that's probably wrong. Siula? I don't know. Anyway, Ancillary Justice, recommended by Scott McNulty, read by me. Enjoyable Ian Banks-like space opera. Um, so if you prefer space opera to fantasy and heists, you can go with Ancillary Justice. If you like the fantasy heists, Lies of Locke Lamora, they're both on Audible, and you can get that free audiobook and kick off your free trial by going to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable. And thanks to Audible for sponsoring The Incomparable. Oh, uh, let's move on to Tony. What do you, what's your pick? Uh, I will ch- I will choose uh, Shadow of the Colossus uh, for the PlayStation 2 2007 um, mm. because I thought John Syracuse might pick it's it. On, it's on my oh. list. You can, you can steal it. Okay, good. Um, Shadow of the Colossus is uh, one of that and Guitar Hero were by, why I bought a PlayStation 2 relatively late in the PlayStation 2 cycle, but like both of those were out and I was like, I'm doing this. Um, I, I do tend to buy a lot of consoles way late into the after they come out i never buy a console like the first year i wait until they get cheaper and until like there's 10 or 15 games that are considered classics that i can go and play instead of having to and they they all know, cost 20 dollars because they're in so the greatest great. hits collection and they all cost 20 dollars yeah i mean even i bought the xbox 360 like two years after it came out and when i bought it i bought like you know the five best games for the 360 for like 20 bucks each and it's like these are you know that's gonna keep me busy for a year 
Shadow of the Colossus um, was for the PlayStation 2. It's from Team Ico, who made Ico. Ico. Um, and it is, or Ico. People say it different ways. Ico. Language is evolving. Um, John Syracuse okay. tells me it's Ico, I so that's get, what it is. When he says that, I get it confused with a certain dolphin game. That's, that's Echo. Echo, Echo I, the dolphin. I promise. This is really, what about this is really not a tangent I'm interested in exploring. Uh, the problem for me is the Peter Gabriel song creeps in every time I say Ico. Yeah. This is this is rich material, guys. Um, let's unpack this. So, um, <laughs> so Shadow of the Colossus character anyway. from Dollhouse. Sh- <laughs> um, Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus is a really interesting. I would almost call it a puzzle game. Um, it takes place in this kind of very broad, open, empty world, and you're riding. Around, you're a guy riding around on a horse, and it kind of looks like it would be some kind of adventure, Dungeons and Dragons, Zelda kind of game, except. There are no monsters. There are no villages with people. There are just these huge colossi, hence Shadows of the Colossus, uh, that you seek out and fight. Um, and usually the fight with them, these huge, and it, it's, it's incredibly atmospheric in terms of presenting how enormous these creatures are. And some of them are like giants or flying things or uh, fish-like creatures or giant crawling lizards. And you usually have to defeat them in some kind of puzzle-like process of uh, climbing up them and finding a glowing sigil on them and stabbing it over and over again um after which point you start to as you play this game and it's basically just these these boss fights with kind of intermittent you know riding across a bleak barren landscape until you get to the next one um there starts to be this really weird effect of why am i killing these creatures and some of them you know some of them are kind of like dragon-like or look kind of fearsome but some of them look just kind of you know like lumbering giants who are just kind of hanging out there and you're like going and finding them and stabbing them in the back of the head (laughs) as you um, do so that you can save your girlfriend kind of maybe. Um, and it start it, it, it does a really great job of kind of building up this kind of discomfort in you in terms of why am I doing this? And the, the, the creatures, um, the sound of the music and it's really great. And it's like, they make these huge booming noises. And when you stab them, they really sound in pain and it really kind of gets you to feel like, you know, there, there's so much in video games where it's like, you just jump on people's heads to, you know, to kill them and get to the next level. And you start to feel really kind of uncomfortable with your, with your actions, uh, in this game, I'm really looking forward to the the next game um, from from that team, but it's it's unclear when it's going to ever come out, uh, given that it was supposed to be for PlayStation Three. Keep hope alive, and that didn't happen. One thing I'll add about this game is, to this day, some of the things I've done in the boss battles, and if you hear just describes like, oh, so what? It's a boss battle. Some of the things I've done in that game, I still haven't done in any other game, and that's even taking into account like the modern crutch of the barely interactive cinematic or quick time event, where they control everything and they can make it look as awesome as they want. Even given that, I still haven't done things in cinematics that are as cool as the things that I've done under my complete control in Shadow of the Colossus. It does such an amazing job of putting all of its wood behind the one arrow of fighting these big things and giving you new experiences and just things that you have never, you play video games your whole life and things that you have never done in a video game, you'll do in this game under your complete control the whole time. It's, it's just amazing. It really kind of up and a lot of video games have this kind of teaching thing where it's like, you're going to do something and then you're going to do that a lot of times over and over again to be successful. And it really doesn't do that, right? Each of the bosses is really kind of unique and different. And there is, you know, you have to find a sigil and stab it. Um, but it's not that like, we're going to show you how to do something once and then you're going to do it five times and feel great about yourself. It's like, no, you're going to experience each of these things in a kind of different and new and exciting kind of way. Um, and it's one of the, it doesn't like train you on how to play the game. Um, I played through the whole game and then found out later that they're like, there are little lizards in the, you know, in the barren wasteland that you can like shoot and gain your your health i had no idea that never came up for me while playing it 
made it hard because I didn't have very much health. It didn't it didn't do enough exploring. Yeah, that's the other thing about this game is that like the exploring yeah. part, like it sounds like, well, what's the point? Like that changes the game so much. The fact that you have to find these things and the fact that you're like the sense of loneliness and the trip to them makes all the difference in the world versus if they just had this game like had a hub room with a bunch of doors and you walk through a dog door and did a fight. Totally changes the game to have to go find them in their sort of natural habitat and see them doing what it is that they do. It, the game is very much about mood, like all the other games from this developer, uh, and it really, it really does make a difference. It's one of these games that, it, in description, sounds like you're not going to like it. I definitely didn't think I would like it because after Eco, I was like 16 boss battles and stupid. But it's the it's the details of playing the game. Like even even going up on the guy and stabbing him in that spot, it's not like you go up, 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 hit button to stab. It is not like that at all. It is the whole game is concentrating on giving you the feel of what it would be like mm -hmm. to crawl on top of one of these Timing. things and stab it. And it is not just move, move to the spot, hit the button to stab. Not like that at all. I, I agree with Tony and John that it's an incredibly atmospheric game and it's incredibly well done, but I got through four Colossi and had enough. Is that just, I'm not enough of a gamer? But it does get harder. It gets the, like, like I said, the Jason, he, I think has this game too. And I said, I yeah. would doubt he would ever finish it because it like there's 16 and the difficulty ramps pretty heavily and i most people it will leave behind because if it's frustrating you don't get to enjoy the experience of fighting them if you have to try 800 times like well now i'm not enjoying this anymore you want it to be difficult and try once twice three times but once you're into the once you're into the double digits then it's not fun anymore so everyone reaches their limit i think i watched the cutscenes on youtube <laughs> And finishing games, I think, is different for different people. I mean, I find myself, I, I try to finish a lot of games. I kind of feel like I can't, you know, go on to a next game until I kind of beat a game, even if I'm not super having fun with it. And I've, you know, I've kind of slogged through some games. But as a result, I buy more and more games that I know are shorter. I really appreciate the number of kind of indie games or um, downloadable games that are, you know, I know are going to be like less than 10 hours. Whereas I know other people who are like, they're really into the like the later Final Fantasies and doing all the side quests, which is like... You know, that's a commitment of well, hundreds you're, of hours. Getting right? your money's that's worth. Like that's like a graduate degree. You know, well, like Child of the Colossus had the advantage of being bite-sized digestible. You could do one Colossus a yes. night or one Colossus a week or whatever, and they, like you'd never, you knew you weren't going to leave off in the middle. It's like you were going to find the Colossus, you were going to fight him, and maybe you give up for that day and go back to the same Colossus a different day. But uh, I, for, I think the gaming was tuned pretty much to a gamer who who was like a similar age to what I was, who had experience with NES and everything, because it was difficult, but. The only one I found myself getting slightly frustrated with was the very last one. And actually, the last one is the one I have the most vivid memories of because of some particular moves sure. that you have to do Falling to get off of it to over and over again. The, the, you know, the Colossus. And I remember doing one particular thing yeah. many, many times. I got really stuck on the, like, there's like a kind of a lizardy one that crawls around on the walls. And I think it took me the longest to kind of get. Yeah. The yeah. So if, if you get, that's the other thing. Um, if you get stuck on the puzzle, if you don't know what to do, you'll just repeatedly try to execute the wrong plan. And we'll also get frustrated, frustrating, but, but no, right? I didn't, I didn't find it frustrating until, until the very last one where I felt it was a little bit cheap, but by then the, the end was in sight and mm -hmm. I'm definitely someone who needs to finish most games. I'm glad I finished this one. I believe that there's a, I don't have a PlayStation three, but I believe there is a port of it for PlayStation yeah, three. So the high res and the frame rate it, is much disc, better. So I highly yeah. recommend it. So I'd recommend, and you know, it actually, I mean, for a game that's what, six years old actually had pretty impressive graphics, um, especially for a PlayStation two game, but yeah, if there's an even fancier, shinier version you could be playing if you have one of the modern systems. systems. Yeah, and it's, it's packaged together with Eco on the same yep, disc. That's what I've got. Isn't it Echo? Echo? <laughs> it's O.co. Eco. Eco. All right, I can't wait to hear what crazy game Moises is going to pick next, but sadly, we're going to save that for next week. We've picked eight classic video games 
We have 16 more to go. So come back next week for the next episode of The Incomparable, and you'll hear us pick 16 more classic video games. But until then, I want to thank my guests for being here, Greg Noss, John Syracusa, Moises Chuyan, Steve Lutz, and Tony Sindelar. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Incomparable. <laughs>